0: So if you brought your Bibles today, I ask you to please open them up to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, we're reading in verse 14 and 15. Uh, and I'm going to read that passage out loud. I'm going to ask for a little crowd of participation. Uh, so as I, as I read the passage, you'll see some bolded and underlined words, and so I'd like you to say those words out loud with me, okay? So here we go. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died... For all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again so repetition in scripture uh, should always kind of grab our attention and so on this holiday weekend when our thoughts are turning to barbecues and beaches and fourth of July fireworks well I thought it'd be a great day to talk about dying who's with me (laughs) sounds fun right um, well don 't worry i it, 'm going to talk mainly about a figurative kind of death and a death that actually um, brings life to us um, so uh, let 's start by kind of pointing out three key truths that we 'll explore today. So here they are key truth number one Jesus Christ died for all. our second key truth as his followers we are called to die like Jesus and Third, his death and ours usher in the kingdom of God on earth. Um, so to our first key truth, Jesus Christ died for all. It's worth asking, just what does that mean? You know, Jesus talked quite a bit about his own death in Scripture. In fact, in the Synoptic Gospels, he predicts his death at least three different times. And, and Jesus publicly gave meaning to his death in the book of John Uh, chapter 12 verses 23 and 24 and this was soon after his triumphal entry into Jerusalem just days before the crucifixion and he's speaking to the gathered crowd and this is what he says the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified very truly I tell you unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies it remains only a single seed but if it dies it produces many seeds so Jesus here is using a familiar analogy, familiar to the crowd they're gathered and familiar to us as well as to the why of his coming crucifixion. Jesus likened his own death to a seed falling to the ground and dying in order to produce a harvest of many more seeds. So Jesus knew his father's will. He knew that he was to provide a pathway for redemption and salvation for all people, that this was his mission. Uh, that he was to come, Emmanuel, God with us, and that God's single seed, which is Jesus, would die and would uh, be then producing a harvest of what was to come. And so uh, a good question, what was to come from that single seed? What was to come from that death on the cross? And the answer is God's kingdom. God's kingdom was to come. The kingdom that Jesus actually taught his apostles to pray for. You remember when they asked him, Lord, how should we pray? He said, Pray this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Jesus' death initiated the kingdom of God on earth. His necessary death and his supernatural resurrection actually instilled God's will into the heart of his people. And miraculous things came with this new kingdom. Salvation came with this new kingdom. The gifting of the Holy Spirit, the building up of the church, and the working out of God's plan for justice and redemption for his broken creation. God's will done on earth, exactly as Jesus had taught his apostles to pray for. And so that's what Jesus means when he says that one died for all, and that's also what he he means when he says, and therefore, all died, which leads us to our second key truth. As his followers, you and I, are called to die like Jesus. How many of you know that there is a battle raging in our world and that same battle rages in each human heart and that's a battle of the wills and it's an intense battle. Because of the fall, because of sin entering the world, God's divine will and man's natural will are very much at odds. We see this throughout scripture and unfortunately we see this throughout human history. And scripture confirms that there's a vast chasm that exists between God's will and our will. Um, As scripture points out, we were once enemies of God. We were once slaves to sin. So clearly our will is not aligned with God's will in that circumstance. However, when we surrender our lives to God, something changes and we become something different. We actually become... Adopted into God's family. We are his sons and his daughters, no longer enemies. We are slaves not to sin, but to righteousness. And this is an amazing transformation that happens from enemy to friend, from sinful to righteous. And it's accomplished not by our works, but by Jesus and what he did on the cross. And then by the Holy Spirit at work in us. Paul, uh, in Galatians 5, he described this inner battle really well. He wrote, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Well, that can sound pretty bleak, and it maybe sounds a little bit familiar to you. Um, But did you notice Paul gives us a solution right at the start of that passage when he writes, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. You see, the Holy Spirit is supreme over our will if we surrender to the Spirit's guidance. In fact, for us to live fully into that reality here on earth of God working out His will in us and through us, another kind of death actually needs to occur. And Jesus isn't calling us to a painful physical death on a wooden cross, but he is calling us to die to ourselves. And folks, that can be painful. We are to be those who no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. And honestly, this dying to self, it can be a a long and drawn out process. And I'm speaking from personal experience. So about 18 years ago, my wife Liliana and I, we had um, one little girl at home and uh, another on the way. We were both working full-time, busy jobs, and starting to creep into working nights and weekends. And we worried about that. It was causing stress in our family, and, and we didn't think this was sustainable, especially with a new, uh, another child coming. And so we began to ask God and uh, what he, for a solution, really. Uh, we began to pray and to listen. We talked to trusted friends in our small group, uh, and God was faithful, and he gave us an answer. But I'll tell you, I didn't like the answer. The answer was for me to uh, surrender my career and quit my job and stay at home with the kids. And I'm gonna tell you, that was a painful pill for me to swallow. Uh, My identity was very much wrapped up in my career, which is a very common problem. I also worried, what are people gonna think? About me. Uh, I'm the man of the house. Shouldn't I be the primary provider? Uh, Instead, I saw uh, I was going to be at home playing Mr. Mom, and I wasn't quite sure I was uh, up for the task or wanted to do that. So soon I found myself at home with a toddler and an infant, and uh, you can see them here. They're pretty cute. Um, And my reality became uh, changing diapers and doing the dishes and cooking meals, uh, spending hours untangling knots out of my daughter's curly hair. I watched way too many uh, VeggieTales CDs <laughs> or DVDs at the time for sure. Uh, you, know, you may remember the other week, uh, Ramin Gibbs, he talked about, he, he called himself the jujitsu pastor, and he'd beat you up, and then uh, he'd pray for your healing, which is pretty cool, right? Um, <laughs> I was more like the sippy cup pastor, <laughs> which isn't cool at all, but it's all I got. Um, you know what? The decision, though, to, um, to really put my career and my will on the altar of God, to step into that obedience at that time, in that moment, it was the, one of the best decisions I've made. Um, it led to such blessings in my life. Uh, it was a great period of spiritual growth for me. Uh, it blessed our family. I got to spend uh, just great, precious time with my daughters and with uh, then our son when he came, and, and God used the obedience that I, that I took to bless us as a family and to bless me personally to adjust my identity to being not in my career but in Christ. So whatever I thought I was giving up uh, blessed my family and blessed me uh, more than I could have imagined. And I'm actually grateful for the death of my old career and for learning where my identity really comes from. I just wish I wasn't such a slow learner. Uh, You see, I'm still really far from living a fully surrendered life. Uh, Just honestly with you, I, like you, I struggle with being selfish and self-centered and uh, like seeking after my own will, um, going after and, and protecting my comforts and ignoring the needs of others. Um, the truth is, surrendering to God's will uh, is not a destination that you ever arrive at. It's, it's a journey that we're on. It's a day-to-day struggle. Uh, but I do have great news for you, and we saw that in the passage from Paul, that the Holy Spirit fights that battle for us. We're not alone. And the Spirit, if we are attentive to Him, will lead us to put our will aside and to live for Jesus. And this inevitably leads us to living for others. Uh, to serving our families, to serving our church, for serving in our community, uh, and in particular, I think, for living for those who don't yet know Jesus. So the death that we're talking about is a surrendered life marked by serving others. Let me repeat that. Our death is a surrendered life, and it's marked by serving others. It's a heart condition and a, just an availability Uh, readiness to go where God calls, to join him on his mission, to listen to what he's telling, those promptings he gives us, and then having the courage to obey. And none of us do it perfectly. But if you look around, you will see God's people living this way. Uh, Last year, I traveled to Coventry, England, to visit a missionary couple that uh, you guys helped support. Guy and Lorena Schott, uh, they live in Coventry. And they work with youth with a mission. Uh, They have a powerful testimony. Uh, Guy, uh, as a young man, was a sergeant in the Brazilian Air Force. And he moved from his hometown uh, to a a city far away and was happy to be independent and and live in his life. But then God got a hold of Guy's heart and soon put a calling on on Guy's life to actually move back home with his parents. Uh, And he wondered why, but... He knew the answer, Uh, his parents were struggling in their marriage and and Gee felt that God really wanted him to share his newfound faith with his parents. Uh, This is what he said, he said, I quit everything just to tell my parents about Jesus and it was hard. He spent five years back at home and God was faithful. Eventually, uh, his parents received Christ as their personal savior, their marriage was restored Uh, and he says this of that time, looking back, such blessings were released over my family And the power was released over my life to go fully what God had for me. So fast forward, and Guy is now well on his way to a lucrative career as an actuary with one of Brazil's largest companies. He sees the path before him, but then suddenly God intervenes. And again, he calls him to a different path, Uh, calls him to go to Bible school. Uh, And he and his wife, Lorena, feel the same call to serve the Lord. Uh, And they thought, well, maybe they would pastor in a large church there in Brazil. But instead, the call was uh, to go to England. He put, uh, God put on their hearts a burden for uh, refugees and for asylum seekers. And to go to England, problem was they didn't speak English. It didn't make much sense. Guy says this, he said, coming here without English, no contacts, no resources, I don't know how he even survived. I couldn't tell you it makes no sense I had no clue how God would do it, but he's been so faithful to us. And now seven years later, we're seeing the fruits of that across Coventry. And we visited. Here's what we saw. We saw a couple that has a gift of hospitality, has a warmth about them. Something about just being Brazilian in that culture, they stood out. And these refugees that were coming into Coventry uh, just flocked to them. And they soon had a community, and they were sharing Jesus with people from countries like Iran and Syria and other parts of the Middle East. And soon they were not just sharing meals together, they were sharing Jesus together. And a church was growing out of that and popping up, and many more people were learning to know about Jesus. And all that came out of their obedience to go to this place, not knowing what God had planned for them. Uh, Recently, God called them to start a coffee cart ministry. And this provides employment and dignity for the refugees and asylum seekers that they minister to and serves as a great outreach to many more people in the community. And so Guy and Lorena are, uh, just for me, living examples of what happens when we surrender our lives and our will to God and just live for others. Guy put it this way. He said, I wanted God's whole love. Everything that is good comes from God and I wanted more of that. It was a revelation of life for me. You know, following Jesus can be hard. I think we see that in their story, and you probably know this yourself. It can be uncertain. It can sometimes even feel unsafe. Sometimes the thing God calls us to doesn't make sense to the people around us, our family or our friends. Sometimes it doesn't even make sense to to us. And doubt can creep in and questions like, um, did I make the right choice? Is my sacrifice really worth it? What's the point? And so that leads us to our third key truth, this is the point. His death and ours usher in the kingdom of God on earth. So Jesus' actual death and our figurative death do the same thing. They bring forth God's kingdom person by person. Paul makes this point clear in this course scripture. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. His death and ours is others focused. God's plan is to install his kingdom by reaching those who are far from God. And guess what, he calls us into that mission. Follow me to another teaching of Jesus. This is also starring a tiny seed. This is from Luke 13 starting in verse 18 and Jesus is talking to the Jewish leaders and he says this, what is the kingdom of God like? How can I illustrate it? It is like a tiny mustard seed that a man planted in a garden It grows and becomes a tree, and the birds make nests in its branches. A mustard seed, so tiny, inconsequential even, inconsequential like a Jewish carpenter from a backwater town conceived out of wedlock to a couple of nobodies, and yet it, he, Jesus, falls to the ground, seemingly dead, and the world is changed forever. Inconsequential like a Brazilian couple who give up everything, to live as nobodies in an unremarkable city in central England and they surrender their lives to God's plan and they come alive in Christ and lives are changed forever. Or how about an elderly widow living in a retirement home right here in San Antonio? Seemingly inconsequential, mostly forgotten, or maybe not. Uh, I got a phone call recently uh, from her. That is uh, Jeanette Higgins. Uh, Jeanette has been a member of Oak Hills Church for many years. Uh, Many of you may know her, she usually sits right over there in the back, and she called me that day to get an updated list of our missionary families that we support as a church. And uh, and Jeanette understands the power of prayer. Uh, She and her late husband, Jerry, served as missionaries to the Philippines, and so they understand the spiritual battle that missionaries face. And so for years now, the call for her has been to sit in her chair with a printout of our missionaries, uh, their pictures, uh, their kids' names written, handwritten prayer requests and to intercede on their behalf, behalf before the Father. Jeanette turned 91 years old last month and she told me uh, somewhat apologetically, well that's really all I can do now. But what an understatement. All she can do is probably the most important thing that she can do. She serves our missionary families faithfully, partnering with them in the gospel all around the world. And it's certainly not all that Jeanette does, Uh, several years ago, she moved into a retirement home after quadruple bypass surgery, and she said that when she got there, she asked God, well, God, what do you want me to do here? And she met a couple of ladies uh, in the hall, and they mentioned that they'd wanted to start a Bible study, but didn't really know how. And and Jeanette said, well, I, I can do that. And so she and the ladies started a Bible study, and for the last seven years, they've been teaching the Bible to their neighbors. Um, She was so excited when she shared that with me. She said, yesterday we had 19 ladies there. And so I asked her, what does it mean to you to be able to uh, share and teach the Bible to your neighbors? And what does it mean to you to be able to pray for our missionaries? And she said this, listen to this answer. She said, it means everything. The Lord has blessed me in such beautiful ways. It's his doing. I could never do this. I'm 91 years old, but he just blesses me over and over I can't imagine not doing this for him, and I can't even explain how much it means to me. I'm so grateful. I hope I can do it until I die. So Jeanette is ushering in the kingdom of God, isn't she? Her faithful prayers are knocking down um, walls, spiritual walls in places like Sudan and Haiti and India. And her faithful teaching of God's word is encouraging and blessing her neighbors. And frankly, she inspires me, and hopefully she inspires you too. And so as you consider these truths we've talked about, I wanna be clear about something. You don't need to quit your job or move to the other side of the world to serve Jesus. Do you feel better? Relax. Pressure's off. Um, God has actually placed you right where you are for a purpose, with your relationships, with uh, your connections, your neighbors, your gifts and your experiences. He wants to use you here and now, today. Uh, Eugene Peterson puts it this way in his message interpretation of Romans 12, 1 and 2. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit right into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God, and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you, and then quickly respond to it. I like that, you're sleeping, uh, eating, going to work, walking around life. You know, around here we talk a lot about sharing the hope of Jesus, where you live, work, learn, and play. It's really the same concept. Uh, It's about following Jesus moment by moment, obeying his call to serve whoever he puts in front of you, just obeying his will as he speaks to you. And you see, the coming of God's kingdom on earth is the coming of God's will being done. and, And we, God's people, are his chosen instrument to exert his will. And folks, our world is full of people who desperately need God's will to be done. Our world is full of people who are lonely and they're broken. They're confused, they're hopeless. Victims of abuse, injustice, prejudice, and none of this, folks, is God's will. Trafficked children is not God's will. Broken families is not God's will. Generational poverty and hunger and homelessness is definitely not God's will. The foster care crisis facing our city today is not God's will. All of this breaks God's heart and it should break ours. So God's will is to call us out, his people, to intervene, to step into the gap, to do something, to bring hope and to bring healing to those around us. And what happens when we regularly begin to sacrifice and surrender our will and start living our lives for God and for others? Well, what happens is God's church is built and then you and me get to shine light into dark places. We love others in his name and little by little, God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven, just like we pray. Satan's schemes, folks, are foiled. His head is crushed, and God's people are healed. They're set free. And many of you saw that. Even this past week, in our serve week, you saw firsthand, what did you see? We saw the hungry being fed. We saw the homeless finding a home. We saw vulnerable children that had been saved. We saw families that are being restored. And our community, person by person, is finding healing and hope in the name of Jesus. And so when we we serve in the name of Jesus, people experience God's love. And they come to know Jesus as a living God who saved them. And that is God's will. That is the kingdom coming. And that's our calling. We get to be a part of that. And that's an amazing privilege. He calls each and every one of us to be a part of that. And so let's make this personal. How is God calling you today? And if you're wrestling with that thought, let me suggest uh, three practical questions that may help you. First question, who are you uniquely positioned to love and serve today? Think about that. Does a name or a face come to mind? Uh, Maybe it's an elderly parent. Maybe it's um, a lonely neighbor, or it's an angry coworker, um, It's a friend who struggles with addiction or depression. Ask God, Lord, how can I serve that person today? And then go and do it. Here's a second question. What issue or what need brings a sense of righteous anger to your heart and to your mind? What is something you just can't abide, you just can't stop thinking about? Some injustice that you know that's not God's will, and it just wakes you up at night or or you you just want to do something. Well, guess what? You can. And here's an important point. You don't have to find the solution. What you need to do is pray to God and ask him, who is working in this issue? Where can I join them? And then do that. Pray to God and he will show you what steps to take. And here's the third question. What's stopping you? Uh, Remember that battle of the wills. our will sometimes doesn't want to do the will of God. Sometimes it's the cost. We, we get scared. What's it going to cost me? Um, and you worry about, about that. Uh, remember that when we do sacrifice for God, he is so good to fill us back up with whatever we have given out. He gives us back multiple times over. We don't serve so that we can get anything from God, but he's so faithful to help us. He equips us to serve. And so... Um, Consider, when you consider the cost, also consider what you're going to receive from serving. And I know it can seem overwhelming, but please remember this. Remember that none of us can do everything, but we can all do something. None of us can do everything, but we can all do something. It doesn't have to be huge. Remember the story of the seed. Small, tiny mustard seed can create great things in the kingdom of God. So, I pray that you leave with that question today. What is your something? What is that thing that God is calling you to do? Well, one thing all of us can do, and I encourage you to do as you leave today, as part of our service, we've created a thousand blessing bags. I would like everyone in this room to grab a blessing bag and take it out into the community today, and just ask God, "Who can I bless today?" You'll find out. You'll hear more about that here in a moment about what's in that bag, but. I encourage you to grab one of those on your way out. But don't stop there. Please lean into these questions. Who is God calling you to serve? What step is he encouraging you to take? And it might be a little scary, God's answer. It will probably require a little bit of sacrifice. But remember that when we take that next step for God, that Jesus is right there along with us, equipping us to do it. Would you pray with me? Father, we're so grateful, Lord, that you came and you loved us so much that you saved us, Lord. And we're grateful that you call us into being on mission with you to love and serve our community. I pray for everybody here, everybody listening, that we will hear your voice today and this week and that we will have the courage to obediently follow you wherever you call us to go. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.